This morning, we're going to celebrate the second advent, the second coming of Christ. Let me give you a test to begin with, and I'm going to read out of Revelation 5, and the test is, what is the image that John, seeing Jesus Christ in the heavens, preparing to make his return to earth on the day of the Lord, what is the image that, G, that John sees Christ bearing in heaven? And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, who has conquered. He can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all of the earth. What was the image that he saw? It's, it's a very, it sounds, it's hard for our finite human minds to grasp it. We, we really can't. But what John saw was the lion of Judah, and at the same time, he saw the lamb that was slain. And we have celebrated over the last number of weeks with Advent, the first Advent, that Jesus Christ, born and laid in a manger, was a lamb of God who was born for the purpose of our salvation at the cost of his own life. He was a lamb who was destined for the sacrifice. But upon his second return, we see a different image. We see an image that, as John has just read from Revelation 19, we see a different image, and if you would look again with me, we see a man on a great white charger or horse. It says that here... John is seeing Christ return to earth. The heavens open, and this is Revelation 19, and behold, a white horse. And a white horse is filled with significance for the Jewish mind. You might remember that when Christ walked the earth during his first advent, that the Jews were somewhat confused because they had expected the Messiah to come and conquer the Roman oppressors. They had expected Jesus to come on a great white horse instead of a donkey riding to submit to his death into Jerusalem. They had expected a great white horse. A white horse, unlike, a, unlike an other colored horse, would also represent that the enemy has been conquered and that it's just a cleanup operation. Perhaps there'll be a final battle, but the battle has really already been won. This is a, an accomplished general who's riding in to celebrate the conquest. He has a name. The name is Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and he makes war. This one 
is known as faithful. Over and over again, he's proven faithful even when we're faithless. And he's true. There's nothing false about him. He, in, he comes into our living lives, lives based on many, many lies, and he's a light of reality there. He shows us as we really are. He shows us our sin. He shows us where we've been believing a lie and been filled with anxiety or worry or dread or guilt or shame. We've been believing a lie, but he comes in with all of his trueness and he appears again as a conquering Savior, the great forgiver and our rightful Lord. It says that his eyes are like flames of fire. A flame consumes So that eye comes to us and it consumes the dross, but it also comes and it consumes our whole being. It's as if he's a lover looking at us and he, he feasts his eyes upon us. He looks at us when he speaks. He knows everything there is to know about us. And only his enemies need to fear that look. We don't if we're his followers. On his head are many crowns, many diadems. And again, this was not a strange thing to the Apostle John on the island of Patmos where he sees this revelation and this vision. He would have seen on the streets of Rome even the conquerors come back wearing the crowns of the conquered foe. And they would put one crown upon another crown on their head to show the dominion that they had over this city, this kingdom, this city, this kingdom, so that they truly became a lord over a lord over a lord. And this one is indeed the king over all kings, the lord over all lords, and a look, a visual And this is real. When we see Jesus Christ return, we're going to see similarly to John. And it's going to communicate to us. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. This is an intimate name. This is a name that if we were to know it, we would have a level of power over the owner or possessor of that name. Think about Jacob as he wrestled with that angel at Peniel. Jacob wanted to know the name of his opponent. He says, what's your name and I'll let you go. And he says, I can't tell you my name. Because to know that name, we would have an intimacy and a proximity that that you're not yet ready for. It's like a, a love name that you have for someone that you're very close to. Um, Wendy, I call her often enough, I call her Honey Bunny. And for you, you laugh at that. But for me, it's precious. We're told here that Jesus Christ reserves a name that he would not have us blaspheme or laugh at. But when he returns, we will know that name. We'll be ready for it. But it's an increased level of intimacy. It says that he's wearing a robe that's dipped in blood. But don't, let's make no misunderstanding that he's returning this time not as a lamb, but as a lion. 
I want you to know above everything else this morning than what I say, I want you to know this morning that the lamb came, but the lion is coming. The lamb came, but there's a lion coming. The robe splattered, covered, soaked through with blood is not the blood of a lamb slain, but it's the blood of his enemies, and I must say our enemies that will be slain. He is not coming as a slain one. He's coming as a slayer. He's not coming back as a lamb because the lamb came. He's coming back as a lion. The lion is coming. Now, some of you just wiggled in your seats. You don't like that. It makes you very uncomfortable. But I would direct you to 2 Peter chapter 3 on your own, perhaps this afternoon with your own copy of God's Word to read about the day of the Lord and the very fact that the lion has not come today the very fact that he has not come this day is because of his patience. His patience such that more and others should repent. But there will come a day, and we praise that, but there will come a day that he will come back and our enemies and his will be treated with a righteous, pure justice that's even beyond our understanding. He bears a name, and the name is the Word of God. Even again, to see Him, we recognize that all 66 books are fulfilled in Him, and that what He says is true, and what He says is life-transforming and powerful. That those same words of God that could speak creation to existence, that could raise Lazarus from the dead that could calm the waters the same words that have come to us at a point in our life and said your sins are forgiven and a spirit in us that resonated and say I believe that and our life was transformed at that point and begins to change us the same words that for those of us that have daily private worship when we read these words they impact us and they transform us this is he who sits on that white horse the lamb came this is a lion who is coming we read that behind him are the armies of heaven and these armies of heaven this heavenly host are angels clad all in white they are armed also in armament because they're going to do battle on earth with Christ's enemies and our enemies. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword. He'll rule with a rod of iron. He's going to tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. A rather odd expression. But it's to say God's wrath, his righteous judgment to those that have denied him as the creator, to those that have blasphemed him in his purity and holiness of life, 
to those that have cursed him for even being God and Lord. It's like grapes that are now being harvested. They're put into the wine press. Jesus Christ steps into that wine press and he steps on them. And the juice begins to come out to fill a cup. And instead of Jesus Christ, as he's done for us when he came as a lamb, drinking the cup of God's wrath such that we're now presented with an empty cup, no wrath. This full cup to the brim, if we would not have Jesus drink it, we must drink it. The lamb came, but the lion is coming. We read in the scriptures four things about his return. First of all, it'll be suddenly. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. It'll be sudden. Secondly, we read that it's personally. John 14, verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Put your name where the you is. It's not just going to be one general roundup. And he said, I'll just take you all. I'll just take, when I've come back, I'll just take you all to be with me. It's so personal. It's so intimate. Put your name there. You right now are on the mind of Jesus Christ. And when this lion of Judah returns, his eyes will consume you. You will know that intimate name of him. You will not drink the cup of wrath. It would have been drunk by him for you. You will go to a place that is prepared for you with him. Thirdly, we read that it's visibly. Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. You won't miss it. In fact, one sign of false prophets and false messiahs is that in the last days, just preceding his return to earth, there will be people who will say, he's in Europe. No, no, no. He's in Tahiti. Well, if he's in Tahiti, I might go just on a lark to just see. But he says, no, don't go to those places because when I return, it doesn't matter where you are. If you're still physically present, you will see me. My eye will fall upon mine and all of mine will see my gaze. You won't miss him. You don't have to worry. What's the, what's the point? Are you excited? Does it move you? Do you care? There's a lot of anticipation and excitement about celebrating the, line, the lamb that came. But what about looking for the second advent and the lion's coming? I have found in my own experience that when I was young, it moved my meter of anticipation and longing very little. To think about the return of Jesus Christ, it would move my meter only a degree. 
because I had so many ambitions. I mean, I just finished seminary. I wanted to serve in the church. I didn't want all those years of education to go to waste. Now I was ready to finally, finally make a mark and impact lives with the gospel. I didn't want Jesus Christ to return. But then I've gotten older. Now, young bucks don't think I'm elderly yet, but I've gotten older. And my meter has moved a number of degrees. I find myself sitting on my porch reflecting in the evening, what will sunset be like in heaven? Wait, the sun will never set in heaven. It'll always be fair weather with Jesus Christ. Will he sit on the porch with me? Will I sit? I, I begin to reflect not so much about tomorrow, but about what life in the new heaven and the new earth will be. When I was young and I had health, didn't think it didn't move my meter, but in ill health, it moves it. When we have riches, when we have a rich fellowship with the world, many times our meter does not move. But when we find ourselves persecuted for our faith, or we find ourselves in poverty or struggling, we long for the relief, the peace, the rest from our labors. We long for the security and the satisfaction of heaven. Where is your meter right now? Is it on the far left saying zero to four? Apathetic, indifferent, haven't really thought about it much. Is it just in the middle saying, I'm ready to go, but not today? Or is it six to ten, more and more thinking about the return of Christ or my going to be with him? And that it moves me. It moves me and it gives me a certain comfort. Well, when will Christ return? Well, we read, first of all, in Mark that, oh, and by the way, he will return bodily. The angels told that as he left and ascended into heaven, he is going to return on a horse, with a body, with a sword, with a tattoo, with a name. Mark 13 tells us that no one can know the date, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. Let me just encourage you. Be very wary and count it as a mark of disobedience anyone that tells you a certain date. In fact, to the degree of certainty that it's this day and this hour, to that degree you can be certain that they're disobedient to this God's word. This was Jesus speaking. And he's saying that not even he, as a son of God, knows the date of that return. So it's a false prophet, it's a false Christ. No matter how well intended, they are disobedient if they tell you. We don't know the date. 
And there's no way to know it exactly. But we're not left without something to encourage us in the long wait. In these dark days, as we wait and wait and wait for the return of Christ, we're given six preceding signs to tell us that Christ will return. And so it encourages us and it helps clarify things while we wait. Luke 21, 28. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads because your redemption is drawing nigh. In other words, instead of just saying, when will he return? I'm not sure if he'll return. Will he ever return? Christ comes and he says, when you see evidence of these signs taking place over time, you should begin to straighten up and say, he will come. It's a, there are signs that are given that I can put my confidence in. We should raise our head and say, maybe today. Maybe soon. What are the six signs? Number one, preaching of the gospel to all nations. Great motivation to share our faith. That there will come a point where God in his heaven and in his wisdom and in his design, he says, okay, my patience now has been satisfied that all those men and women and children have been given an opportunity to turn to me. Now, the gospel, the good news, has gone forward. The great tribulation. Now, this is a, this is a great, what I call, bottle of wine conversation. Uh, this is a great uh, uh, point and topic of conversation. Have we had the great tribulation? Has it already taken place? When Rome destroyed Jerusalem and the temple and left no stone on top of another. Has the Great Tribulation taken place? Are we in the Great Tribulation? In other words, is there, are there things right now, war and rumors of war, persecution of Christians, even to the point of death? Are there, you know, is, are, you know, is the economy and you know, scan bars and chips implanted. I mean, are, are there things that are starting to happen so that we can't make purchases without these, these things from the, the beasts? Or is the great tribulation yet to come? Is it going to be more and more and more costly? And I believe it is. It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you your life, by the way. We don't, we don't mince words at Two Rivers. We don't candy coat Christianity. If you're thinking about becoming a Christian, great. Let's talk. It's a life. It's a hoot. It's wild. But it's dangerous. It's going to cost you your life. But you get his life. It's a great tribulation yet to come where it cost us more and more and more. It cost us comes to my cul-de-sac to be a Christian. Powerful, uh, there'll be false prophets. There'll be false Christ. There'll be powerful signs in the heavens. The heavens roll up. Darkness descends. 
the appearance of the Antichrist. And we don't know the order of these things, but there'll be one who will be the Antichrist. The salvation of Israel, that during the great tribulation, believers' faith and life will be preserved and protected, and Israel will be given an opportunity, a final opportunity, to come back and be restored. While many unbelievers during the great tribulation will be given an opportunity to repent and come to no faith. The, um, these are signs. And we shouldn't say, I'm now going to put aside all of my life. I'm going to study the scriptures with precision, which is wise, do that. But I'm going to get into a survivalist mode and I'm going to quit all affairs and because the end is near, so I'm just going to tick off the signs as I wait. I had a uh, minister in the community that I was in years ago who started a church about the same time I, as I was starting a church in that community. And so we met for a coffee, and uh, at one point, we got to talking about uh, uh, buildings and, uh, and budgets. And he said, well, we don't, we don't do an annual budget. And I said, okay, what do you do? He said, well, we don't do an annual budget because we don't know when the Lord's going to come back. So we just don't budget for the future because that would be, that's not right. We just... Every week may be our last Sunday. I'm like, okay. Got to talking about buildings. And he said, I encourage my fam I encourage all the members of our church to sell their property. Let's use it in ministry because we're in the last days. And that was the name of his ministry, was Last Days Ministries. And he says, We we discourage home ownership. We discourage savings account. We we will never buy a piece of property. We will never have a building because we don't want to put down roots. We don't want to begin any projects because the Lord is going to come imminently, any day. Now, he can come suddenly, but he's not going to come without these signs, as he said, being fulfilled. So let me tell you, if you're a student, continue your studies. But yes, the Lord, on the day of your graduation, after all that hard work, he could return. But praise God, your studies now are not wasted. You could, you can get married. You are to hold jobs. We're not to leave this world, but we're also to hold it with a light grip so that my job, my relationships, my education, future projects, and ministry... I don't say, well, Lord, you can return, but don't you dare return until I can do this. Hold it with a loose grip. Thirdly, do you long for him to come? Would you adopt the mantra, the lamb came, the lion is coming? Does that bring you encouragement and comfort, confidence? Do, can you say it with hope? The lion is coming. The lion is coming. My lion is coming. He's coming for me. And like a bride and a bridegroom, we that day will be wed. We'll be united, never separated again. 
Hebrews 9, verse 28 says that we're to have a growing eagerness. Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin. In other words, if you're holding off and saying, when I see him, I'm going to repent. I used to think that before I was a Christian. I used to think, you know, there is so much partying out there to do. What I'm going to do is I'm going to party hard all my life, and then just moments before I pass away, I'm going to go kind of like casting a lifeline just at the last moment when I have no more energy left to dedicate to partying. I'm going to go, forgive me, God, and then I'm going to die, and then I get heaven. Little did I realize that Christianity is not simply my decision, not a decision I can control completely. Christianity and becoming a Christian is far more like falling in love than it is a transaction. I fell in love such that I, I didn't like the beer tasted flat. The dope didn't get me as high. The girls were not as attractive. I, I mean, nothing changed, but everything changed. My heart changed much more like falling in love. And now I'm eager, like a lover, to be reunited with the one that loves me most. Do you have that growing eagerness? Matthew 24, and this is Jesus Christ, putting it all together. If the master of the house had known what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. I had a I had a friend in college by the name of Philip Horton. And Philip Horton <clears throat> uh, came to me, and we were talking uh, out on a veranda, and he said, you know, strange thing, my dad, who is an uh, outdoorsman, he's a land surveyor, came home last week and said that the Lord had moved his heart to get his house in order. And by that, he left all of the papers and all of the finances and all of the deeds and all of the, the keys in such a way that his family, in his absence, could easily manage the house. Every, every bill was paid. Uh, debts were settled. Accounting was, was done. Everything was put in order, even to the degree relationally that he began to make amends with certain folks. And Philip and I just shook our head and said, well, you know, that's really interesting, isn't it? That's, that's odd. And he says, yeah. He said, but he, he was impacted. It was the Lord moving his heart to get his house in order. The next week, Philip went to a funeral. Philip's dad Mr. Horton had been out. They worked out of uh, Hilton Head. As a land surveyor, he went out, and he was bitten by 
copperhead, cottonmouth, rattlesnake, I don't know. But he died. He died. Jesus Christ is saying for Mr. Horton that Jesus Christ didn't, the day of the Lord for him was not the return on earth, but his day of the Lord was for him to go to be with the Lord. And he got his house in order. I'm looking at my house right now and saying, where has the thief broken into my house? Where is my house not in order? Where is a thief coming in and stealing the confidence and the security and the anticipation and the eagerness and the joy that I can have in thinking my house is in order? Come, Lord Jesus, come. I am ready for you to come. Here's a test for how you know that your house has been broken into by a thief. You don't get eager and you're not excited and you're most definitely not ready for the return of the Lord. A thief is coming into our house. He's already broken in. What is it that keeps you? What is it? What is it that is keeping you from wanting and desiring the return of Christ? What is it? And it's going to be different for just about all of us. That's the thief. And what is it that will raise, raise the anticipation and the eagerness to get our house ready, to go relationally and to certainly with our things in this life to get them in order? such that we're ready to either go to be with the Lord now, that's an advent, or for the Lord to come and to dwell with men forever and ever. Let's pray.